Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Last Life podcast. Today we're going to jump in real quick because obviously big news broke out this this last couple of days or so. Uh, and uh, you know what, Trevor? I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you. I'm just gonna give it to you. First of all, Trevor's here. Uh, he's gonna be joining us to kind of talk about this, like decode this, Da Vinci code this. I don't know what, but just understand from a gamer's perspective what's happening. But Trevor, I'm gonna throw it right to you. What what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, as always, excited to be here. Um, but yeah, man, this is a cra- this is crazy times, man. Crazy times. Uh, you know, I expected uh, Sony to buy someone, but I did not expect Sony to buy someone. Like two weeks later, uh, the fact that we had acquisitions like this back to back, it's crazy. Um, and uh, I, I mentioned it to a couple of people, but if you had told me that. I would live in a timeline where um, Sony owns the original developer of Halo and Microsoft owns Crash Bandicoot. Uh, <laughs> and Spiral. And Spiral. And Spiral. And Spiral. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I wouldn't believe it. And Tony Hawk, right? Doesn't Tony Activision Hawk? own? Oh my God. Yeah. So Microsoft has Tony Hawk now too. Oh my God. That's ridiculous. Um, so obviously we'll, we'll break it down in terms of the numbers. So Sony... Our PlayStation just bought Bungie for $3.6 billion. What, I, I don't know if this is just inflated. Like, I like I love Destiny, but, like, to to kind of put it right next to Bethesda, which was bought for, like, I think $6 billion or so, or 8 or something like that. I think it was, like, 8 or 9, somewhere around 8 there. or 9? Yeah. To kind of even put it in the same realm, like, half of, half of Bethesda is Bungie. I don't know. It feels weird. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't feel like a good deal when you look when you compare the two. Um, I kind of did some quick Google searches to just see like how many employees are at each like studio, and then it's tough with the Bethesda one because they have so many studios. Um, Looking at the numbers roughly, like so, it seems like Bungie is about six hundred employees, and then kind of going through all the different studios, it kind of seemed like you were looking at maybe twelve hundred ish across all of them, which. I could be wrong. It could be more. It could be less. But I think, I think it's roughly around there. So the numbers are kind of aligned a little bit there. I was a little surprised by that. But when you look at the IP that one acquired versus the other, like it's no comparison, right? Like, yeah, uh, you got one game, which I mean, obviously, one <laughs> a very popular game by all accounts. But and then you look at the other side, you got like so much history, right? You got. Doom, you got Wolfenstein, Elder Scrolls, and uh, you know you got stuff like Starfield and Fallout, right? Like, <laughs> there's just they got so many properties from that deal, so it, it didn't it didn't feel like a good deal. But at the same time, right? Like, um, if you kind of look at what happened, like Microsoft has all the shooters now; <laughs> they got they them do. all. Like, like you know, like I mentioned, Wolfenstein, Doom, the Quake. Halo, actually, I forgot about Quake. Quake. <laughs> Quake. Uh, Overwatch, and now they have yeah. Call of Duty, right? Like, they got all of them, like, outside of uh, Destiny and Battlefield and and Respawn games, Titanfall and stuff. Like, you know, the only... This was the other option. Was this or you buy EA? And I don't think they're going to buy EA. So uh, it, it makes sense in that regard. Um, but, yeah, it still doesn't feel like a great deal. So I'll, I'll definitely kind of give credit to the GameIndustry.biz article by Christopher Drang. Uh, so I'll put the link in the in the description as well for for this article. But obviously I was kind of just going through it really quickly. 
an interesting thing that Jim Ryan kind of brought up or he said was that he's not going to bring everything on the PlayStation side and make it PlayStation like exclusive. And now you you did bring up that he they do mention Destiny 2. So obviously Destiny 3, we don't know. At the same time, I also want, I feel like this is very, you know, CEO speak. Like why wouldn't they say this, right? They're trying to like appease inv- investors, customers, stuff like that. The, the cool thing about this article was that they are kind of, they kind of are implying that, hey, we actually want to kind of work towards building our own live service, ga- like live service, like set of games within PlayStation. And they're like, we are doing it. We're trying. And we look at what happened to Destruction All-Stars. I think that was like not good. And they've tried like other games in the past. But they're like, look, we, we have tried and we have not done that good. But what if we buy Bungie? And Bungie has like been very into this whole thing of, no, we're, we're going to publish our thing. No, we're an independent subsidiary of PlayStation. Our games are going to be everywhere, including new IP. They're like very into this thing of, no, we're independent. They're, Sony has nothing to do with our stuff. We still have full control. I'm pretty sure that was probably their deal as well. And I think in exchange, PlayStation is like, okay, that's fine. You are the original creator of this looter shooter, obviously, like not taking into account Borderlands and Diablo and stuff like that. But the new live service looter shooter genre, like Destiny was kind of what started it all uh, a while back. And I feel like maybe they're like, hey, can you just do this for like Killzone, Resistance, maybe Last of Us somehow, maybe Uncharted? Like, can you just do it for us? And like, all right, maybe I think that's not a bad deal. <laughs> yeah, like that's one thing for sure with Bungie, right? They have a lot of success in the area. Like when it comes to a live service, uh, you know, Destiny's had ups and downs for sure. But it has been a solid live service game. Like they they do have content that comes out pretty on the rig. Uh, and it is usually pretty good. Um, and the game runs pretty good. It handles loads, uh, a, a, like a big load of players when a new expansion comes out. Um, and like when you think about when it comes to shooters, like they, they nail it. Like yeah. uh, Destiny is an awesome shooter. It feels so good. Halo, the original Halos felt so good. Um, so bringing that experience into Sony makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I, I hope they do uh, help out some of the other teams there, make some awesome games. I, I would love to see Resistance or Killzone come back, um, a live service or not. But if they play great like a Bungie game, uh, that would be awesome. And I think that's kind of the the key thing because Sony is kind of going into this. They, they are honestly trying to kind of go with that, their old school mentality. I, I, don't, I, I shouldn't say old school mentality just because, they, you know, they have kind of adapted to the changes. But Sony still believes in this idea of we need like these franchises, these new, in, in Canada's case, $89 to $90 games that people will buy our, our system for as opposed to just having a live service game. And like, I feel like they're like, okay, you know what? Like we've, we've done that quite a bit. We need to kind of move away from that. But like, how do we, you know, not make any mistakes on, on, along the way? But at the same time, what if we kind of have, get best, best of the both worlds? We have Bungie who can do the live service stuff. At the same time, now we have a company or a, or, or a set of developers that really understand the FPS genre. So if we want to do our own version of Call of Duty that has like amazing, an amazing story, or if we want to do our own version of Half-Life, let's say, like we have that capability now. Like I'm not, I don't want to say Guerrilla Games are not good at making FPS. Like they obviously did a great job with Killzone, but now they're focused on Horizon. They don't want to go back. Insomnia does not want to go back to Resistance. They're like, no, we're making Marvel games. Why do we, why would we want to go back and make Resistance? So 
So I feel like they're like, okay, you know what? We need someone that understands FPS and all that stuff. And I think they also mentioned, I don't know where it was in this article, but they also mentioned that they want to bring Destiny uh, to, to TV series and, and to, to like films and stuff like that. They want to bring that as like overall, like, like just to be able to consume that media in different ways. And they're already doing that with Uncharted and Last of Us. So maybe they're like, yo, we can actually figure out a way to just kind of monetize the, the hell out of, of, of Destiny. At the same time, we can get them to help us with our next big franchise. That makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, I, I didn't really think about the media angle of it too, right? I mean, Sony has movie studios. Yeah. They can make a movie and, and some TV shows without a doubt. Um, so, yeah, I guess that, that makes a lot of sense, as, especially, you know, kind of Microsoft's doing something similar with Halo. Halo's going to have a new show coming out. Um, it's interesting. It, it, it makes more sense when you think about some of those other aspects of it, for sure. Yeah, and... The, the biggest thing that's going to come out of this that people are kind of fixated on is Jim Ryan saying that that's, this is not the only purchase we're making. We're going to be making more acquisitions. So people are just going wild. Oh, man, that's the scary part. I, I'm still so curious how, like, all this happened, right? Like, we can't rule... We definitely... I haven't seen anyone talk about this, but you can't rule out the fact that Microsoft might have been tried by Bungie too. <laughs> like that, could, that totally could have been on the table. And when For this sure. happened, they're like, oh, okay, no, like we got to make this happen. Like, sorry, how much did you want? It was 3.7 million. Okay, here you go. Come yeah. on board. Like we're making, we're signing this deal today. Like we need the shooters we, and everything. So uh, that, that totally could have been happening as well. Uh, we'll never probably find out, but I'm just so curious yeah. about how some of these deals are happening um i'm still scared that more people are going to be buying more stuff like don't get me wrong some of this stuff is exciting like when microsoft bought activision like again i don't want consolidation i think the more games that could be on more platforms the better for people not everyone can afford every console i hope people have access to as many games as possible the activision stuff was you know like seeing properties that i love just really go down the shitter uh, just to pump them out and make as much money as possible. Uh, I do feel like Microsoft taking control of Activision is going to be for the better. Uh, I hope they don't make too many things exclusive. Again, more players, the better. Um, But in that case, it it feels good because of just how rotten things had got in there, right? Like just even seeing the state of Call of Duty and how buggy it is and, and the constant push to get another one out every year and stuff like that, which, you know, if that will or won't happen, again, exciting times, can't wait to see. Uh, but I think in general, like even just with the Blizzard stuff, the quality would just went down so much. Um, I, I have a lot of hope for it. Uh, but at, at the same time, like stop, like yeah. <laughs> just no more, no more buy. Like the exclusives, the, all these deals and stuff, they've always sucked. And uh, a lot of this stuff is going to continue to suck. So, well, so I I did make a prediction right in our predictions episode that they Sony's going to buy Square Enix. So how how much how likely do you think that is now after this acquisition? Oh man, I I don't I've always I don't I don't know like the financial side of how much it would cost to get Square. Like I feel like Square would be expensive. Um, I just don't feel like Sony is in the position to make the like 40 50 billion dollar buy like they could do it obviously but it's it it wouldn't it would be extremely hard on their business compared to like they'll they would have to do it like 
they couldn't do a cash deal, I don't think. Like oh, they no would way. have to do like the shares and and all kind. Of, they would have to make all kinds of concessions to make something like that work. I just imagine Jim Ryan going to like Square Enix and be like, uh, "Do you take Discover? Do you take Visa? <laughs> do you take keep one half on this card, uh, a quarter <laughs> on this card. We'll give you some shares here. Like um, it, it's just it's not Sony, right? Like when I think of Sony, like they're all about you know, making as much money as they can without spending as much money as they can. Whereas Microsoft is all about, we'll spend as much money to make the money in the long run, like to make make the deals that will pay off. That's what how they made all their money, right? Like through services and, and growth in, in cloud and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I mean, obviously Sony could change and, and do different things. I just don't see them buying... Uh, like I'm making a huge deal. Like I see more smaller deals like that. It's four billion a small deal, but <laughs> smaller. It, small. <laughs> it feels like small now. Smaller billion dollar deals, not these major ones. I don't think they buy Square. I don't think they buy any of the other big publishers. Um, but so I don't. Again, I don't know how much validity this has. But like Jeff Grubb from from Venture Beat, he's he's pretty big in the industry, and he kind of like let a hint out in terms of whom they might be buying. Mm-hmm. And like he specifically said, you know, it takes two to tango. That's not what he said. And obviously they were like, no, it's not take two. And it's not like Square Enix or it takes two, it takes two developer uh, Hazelight Studios. Apparently it takes two to tango is a specific um, achievement or trophy in Resident Evil. Oh, so, okay. So people are, people are thinking that Capcom might actually be next. And I don't know. I can, I can see that. I can, I see, can that see that one. I could see Capcom. That I think that they're they're the limit. I feel like I think they might be like just not quite big enough uh, that they could still buy them at a reasonable price, um, and they obviously have the relationship and everything. Um, so yeah, I could see ca- them taking Capcom. Well, I, I feel like we should just make like a like a mini bet here. I feel like in the next six months, I think Capcom and Konami will both be with Sony. I think Konami is just going to sell their properties. Konami doesn't do anything. But how are they going to make pachinko machines with Metal Gear on them? Can they license it? Like, can they? <laughs> can they exclusively license their the gaming stuff to Sony and be like, you own our our, our licenses for these games for the next ten years? It's kind of like Star Wars. Konami is selling for sure. Like, I mean, they obviously are not super deep into games like they used to be. Um, yeah they could do a deal like that maybe where they they still have the right to use it on their pachinko machines or whatever um yeah and they're all about obviously like trying to make as much money as possible so they definitely want to make as much money yeah so if sorry comes in with enough money they will sell and i i could see capcom happening uh which would be a bummer um because there is just so many good properties there but capcom is very much uh you know they've been aligned with Sony for a long time, right? Like um, Street Fighter Five was ex- was exclusive. I believe Sony helped fund that game even, so yep. uh, they have the history there. And at the end of the day, I, what would Microsoft not get? They would not get Resident Evil, Monster Monster Hunter. What are other big Capcom games? I think right I, I, I Street Fighter. I think that's honestly and Street it. Fighter. <laughs> and Marvel vs. Capcom. That's also pretty big. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean they would lose uh they would lose some big games, but I could see that one happening. Yeah, so before we move on to the next topic, 
I guess like the, the last thing we should ask, like uh, kind of how we asked about Activision and how that affected PlayStation players. How does this deal affect Xbox players in your eyes? I mean, um, Destiny 3, I don't think comes out on Xbox. Uh, <laughs> like, again, it, right now, like all the, I think they're very being careful. They, their plans is not to take Destiny 2. They said Destiny 2 in the articles I read um away they're they're going to keep it multi-platform or whatever but at the same time if you're on pc you can say you're multi-platform uh the only thing i hope is is that um like i don't expect like my expectation is future bungie games are are not going to come out on xbox um i could be wrong i'll be very surprised if if they do uh i just hope that sony actually does day and date with pc at the at the very minimum um that's my biggest concern here right uh, it, that Destiny 3 just comes on PlayStation and it will come on PC, but it will be whatever, a year later or something like that. That would be the biggest bummer. Um, but if they do do a day and date, I hope that starts a trend with Sony and they start doing most of their games day and date with PC. Yeah. No, I mean, it's pretty exciting because I'm kind of waiting. I think you and I have, will have to do another episode like this when, when something else happens. Uh, so in the next, next couple week. of weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At this rate, it might be next week because of the, all the stuff that I've been hearing, it's like, okay, Capcom is next and then Konami. I'm like, oh my God, it's exciting yeah. as a PlayStation fan. But at the same time, you're like, okay, can we can we just focus on making the games? Because that's kind of yeah, what... Yeah, <laughs> like, I want to see what comes of a lot of this stuff. That's going to be the exciting right. part. So so we'll move on to, to our next thing. So there's this game that came out a little while back and you've been just loving this game. It's called Nobody Saves the World and it's available on Game Pass. So I'm going to let you take us away. Nobody Saves the World is awesome. I love this game. Um, I did not expect to love it as much as I did. Uh, downloaded it on a whim. I uh, Even before reading anything about it whatsoever, I just downloaded it and uh, fired it up. Planned to just do my, like, going to play this half hour, hour, just see what it's about type thing. Um, hopefully, maybe get some achievements in the process and, and call it a day. Uh, and literally that, that first playthrough was like, ended up being like, uh, that first session ended up being like three or four hours. Like, uh, it instantly hooked me, um, which tends to not happen very often with, uh, smaller indie like games like this. Um, you know, typically I could kind of see what they're going for and I'll definitely dabble in the while, but to like get into a game and just be like, Oh, I want to do everything in this game. Uh, like I got hooked like that. Um, so it's an action RPG dungeon crawler. Um, you're basically dropped into the world as this hollowed eye nobody. And uh, it's kind of like you, it's very mysterious what, what is going on. You're not, you don't really have any memory or anything. Um, the art style is, is very nice and colorful. Uh, looks great. Um, and the music is, is very charming. It's got some nice tunes, some really chill music, um, and some really good uh, music when you're fighting. Um, but one of the biggest things uh, with this game, which is the hook that that kept me playing and playing and playing, is the progression. Um, I love numbers going up. If the numbers are always going up, I'm in. Wow, player over uh, here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the numbers are going up everywhere in this game, um, which is it, it, it's really uh, smart because like you're always working towards something. Um, you're, it's always a new upgrade, uh, a new form, or a new ability. Uh, there's always something. Um, it was another podcast I was listening to that they described this and they it, it nailed it. I believe it was DLC with Jeff Kanata and Christian Spicer. Uh, they said they compared it to Forza, oddly enough, 
because in Forza, everything you do, you're being rewarded. You know, you mm-hmm. you drift, you're getting rewarded. You hit a sign, you're getting rewarded. Uh, you're going really fast, you get rewarded. And oh, here, you're, you're doing so awesome. Here's the wheels spin. Here's a new car. This game does a very similar thing where everything you're doing is rewarding you. Like just walking around, there's a quest, walk a lot. So after walking a while, you know, you complete the quest, you get some more XP. Um, kill a whole bunch of guys, get some XP. Um, and then you have the form system, which you can level up as well and unlock new forms and you're leveling up those forms to get new abilities. Um, it, it just keeps you going. And that's that's the thing. It's always like, oh, I could just do one more dungeon. And you need a dungeon and it's like, oh man, if I just kill a couple more uh, monsters in this way, I'm going to level this form up. I'll just go do that. And it's like, oh, if I just level up this other form a little bit, now I'll get a brand new form. And then it's just this constant treadmill that just keeps it going and going. Um, And more importantly, the game is just fun to play. Like uh, the combat feels really good. um, The controls a little clunky. um, Especially with the archer. I've noticed it was like a little frustrating to use the archer. Yeah, so the direction stuff, because uh, it doesn't use like twin stick controls, it, it uses like you, you just have the one stick and then um, to actually backpedal and fire, you actually have to hold the right trigger to face yeah. that direction. So sometimes you get in these weird situations where you kind of have to like face the enemies and then hold the trigger and then start moving backwards. Yeah, uh, You'll be running away and you got face, hold and then go. After a while, you get used to it, but it, it, it is clunky uh, all the way through. Um but where the game really takes a turn and uh, gets really exciting is, like like I mentioned, you, you have these forms, you keep on walking. The forms, for starters, are awesome because they, they're they very creative. They're all very different. Like, the very first one you get is a rat, which <laughs> makes you really small, which allows you to go in small areas, and, and it's all built around poison. Um, but then, uh, and then you level that up and you get the next form, next form. But then later at some point they say, okay, how about this? How about you can mix and match abilities with stuff now? So now all of a sudden my rat can shoot arrows like an archer. What? (laughs) Yeah. So now you literally can now build like the perfect character, right? Because you can take the form you want um, and then you can basically take abilities from other forms you've unlocked and put them on that character. So there is some little limitations. So the first one is your basic attack uh, is locked to the the form. So every form has their own basic attack uh, that you cannot change. Um, And those ones never cost any mana. The abilities, uh, the ones that you could swap uh, from other classes, they all use abilities. Um, Another thing, another system in the game is very typical is that uh, there's different damage types. So certain enemies will um, can only be damaged by certain damage types. So there's four. There is um, it's like uh, slashing damage. Uh, I think they refer to it as slash. Then you have blunt, um, and then you have dark and light damage. Um, so the dark and light are kind of magic type based attacks, and then the other ones are are melee. Um, so each form has. Uh, a, a, a attack associated to it. So if you're the rat, your main attack is going to be dark damage. So anything that you fight has the dark damage ward, you would you want to use something like that. But then the abilities also have damage types associated to them. So if you're going uh, to fight something and you know you're going to run into blunt damage and dark damage, you can basically create a build on one of the forms um, and mix the abilities to 
kind of create a good build. On top of the abilities, you also have passives, which enhance your abilities. So same thing, each um, the the pass each uh, form is locked to a single passive. You have four, uh, three additional slots where you could put any passive from any class in. Um, that one's locked. The the passives you can use on they're not that that one passive is not locked to the form though, like the basic attack. So uh, you can use that passive on other uh, characters. So where it gets more creative is that the dungeons. So now you have a dungeon, and when you go to a dungeon, there's going to be modifiers to it. So for example you're going to go to this dungeon and it's going to be like, okay, this dungeon has light damage. So you, you know you're going to go in there, you're going to need some light damage. And then it might also say there's also um, uh, blunt damage. So you'll know, okay, I need to make a build that is going to have both these things. Then there's also other stuff on top of it, right? Like maybe range damage is going to do twice as much or something like that. So you always go into these builds and that's where it gets really creative because you got to think of like, uh, okay, well, how am I going to make a build to be very successful in this dungeon? Um, in the base game, it never gets too hard. Uh, but then in New Game Plus, then that's where it kind of ramps up and you get like some really crazy modifiers in the dungeon. So like, for example, there was uh, one dungeon where it was like um, basically all da- all attacks do 99999. So basically oh anything's going to one-shot you. Um and then another one was anytime uh, uh, an enemy takes damage, they'll shoot homing missiles at you. And then you have that on top of the modifiers. Um, and then like, or, uh, sorry, not the modifiers, the wards, so the damage types. And finding the right build to get through a dungeon that you ma- basically makes you feel invincible is so satisfying. So the, I did one just the other day and it felt incredible. Like. Uh, basically the modifier was the, the, uh, rocket one. So anytime an da- uh, enemy takes damage, uh, it'll shoot a rocket. And then on top of that, uh, the rockets are also going to do extra damage. So it was like range times five damage or something like that. So basically you go in there you hit uh, hitting monsters. They're just firing missiles at you like crazy and they'll just melt you. Uh, anyways, one of the forms is a ghost and the ghost has an ability to, you press, you press and hold the button and it makes you invincible. Like you, you kind of go hidden or whatever, right? Um, then there was a, a passive that was anytime you take... So was that ability, though, the, the way they balance it is that uh, it consumes your mana when you're using it. So you can only use it for a limited amount of time. But there is a passive. When you take damage, you get mana back. So using the ghost ability with that passive, when you're getting hit with the rockets, your mana is going up. So you could effectively be invincible the entire time because you're constantly attacking stuff, getting hit with the damage, but it's restoring your mana and you're using your invincibility ability. So you're just, I never took damage. I was literally just <laughs> holding the button down and the ghost does this, um, its main ability is this kind of aura that does dark damage around it. So uh, like when I came up with that combination, and I was just like, there was just because there was just so many missiles, I was constantly just getting hit. My mana just stayed at 100%. I was just like, I'm just not going to die here. And, yeah. and it was broken. Like, it was like I broke the dungeon, but it felt amazing. I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Um, and then one last thing on it, uh, 
again, I, like I mentioned the forms, they're super creative. Like you have a horse and the horse can only kick backwards. Um, <laughs> you have a slug, which moves That's nice and cool. slow, but it leaves a slime trail and, uh, anything that goes in the slime trail gets slowed. Um, but the best class is without a doubt, the bodybuilder, uh, who looks <laughs> I'll wait and, for this one. he's amazing. He, he's got this massive upper body, very small, uh, lower body, his, like his pecs bounce when he walks, um, <laughs> Uh, there's there's ability where you uh, a light shines down on you and it heals you when you have that on him he literally does a bunch of poses while he's standing in it um, his main attack is called bench press which is literally he just throws a barbell at the enemies <laughs> like um, it is a, it's a creative game man uh, I, I I beat it beat it in new game plus like um, I did all this in like a week probably put like 30 hours into it it was so good I, I kind of just got into it just more recently when you brought it up that you're like really enjoying this game. I, I've kind of gone to the point where I have the archer and the and the knight. I'm just kind of like doing the dungeons and like like it's like the king's castle and stuff like that. So I'm just collecting all the stuff I need to to be able to enter the castle. And I, I initially with the the first area, the first dungeon, I was like, okay, this is cool. I'm kind of getting it. But when you kind of get out and you start like experiencing the other forms, and for me, like I was telling you, the best thing for me is it was a comedy. It was just. Going into random people's houses, just kind of talk, like talking to them, see what they say. Uh, the, like you said, the music. For me, the atmosphere for this game, because I loved Guacamole, which was a game that they uh, that they made before. Yep. So like, it kind of gave me that vibes of like, okay, it's kind of like comedic, has a cool story. In a way, obviously, like it's not like a serious story, but like it has a cool idea around it, cool atmosphere. And that's kind of what sucks me in to these kinds of games. And I was like, all right, like Dying Light 2 is coming out on Friday. So I might need to like just kind of play through this as much as I can. Before Friday, but yeah. like I, I know other thing was also that the game was actually reasonably paced, at least up to the point that I was. That it, it never felt too hard, like you're saying, but it was like it, it was challenging. It challenged me at points, and even if you die, you kind of respawn really quickly in like in like the little circular thing close to it, so you can just kind of keep attacking that dungeon if you, uh, dungeon if you want. But you never feel like okay, I'm too under leveled. I need to like exit this area, go around or whatever. It's like no, try a different form, try something new, and something will always work, which is awesome. The pacing is great. Um, yeah, you can even go into areas that you're not quite as high level. Um, like you, you could be a few levels below. And uh, if you like, especially in the dungeons, like in the open world, uh, enemies don't have wards too much. Um, so you can usually kill anything. Like it, it, it's not super hard. The, yeah, where the, the difficulty comes in is that if you go into a dungeon and you don't, you're not countering what that dungeon's throwing at you, it will be hard. Like it will get you. So right away you kind of have to think like, oh, okay, I need to pick the class that has this one at, at least. And then you, you're going to come up with like, there's so many passives and stuff. Like you'll have some go-tos. Like there's the one that when you do damage, it heals you. That That's always like uh, when you don't have anything else to pick, I always like that one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it's very creative for sure. With a I think it's definitely stuff. worth a check out because it's on Game Pass. You know why not? Yeah, it, it's not super long. Like, um, I well, I mean, it is. I I think it'll take you like the first playthrough will take about twenty hours. Um, okay. it didn't feel like twenty hours. That's for sure. Like, it, it yeah. went by fast. And when I was done, I was just like, I went straight into New Game Plus. Um, because I I didn't have um. So the forms when you level them up, they have different tiers. They start off typically as D, I believe, and then you level up to C, B, A, and S. Um, so when I finished the game, I only had like three or four of them at S. 
So the the new game plus, I was just like, I just want to level them all up. I want to see all the abilities. Uh, I want to try all the different combinations. Um, and then, like I said, dungeons get harder and more interesting. And uh, just countering those dungeons in different ways was it was super satisfying. It's definitely a recommend recommended game. I think, right? I think we should recommend this to anyone that wants to check this game out. I absolutely like you. Got to give it a shot. Um, if you're on Game Pass, just just give it a go. I mean, like you, if you don't enjoy the first few hours, it's probably not for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if you uh, are kind of digging it, I like I'm telling you, just push a little bit further because once you get to that point where you can do the mixing and matching, it just it opens up the game in a new way. Perfect. So for the last five minutes or so for this episode, I wanted to kind of bring up a topic that I think will be interesting to kind of discuss because we, you and I both have pre-ordered Dying Light 2. And yet obviously the Dying Light 2 reviews came out and it's kind of all over the place. Um, many people are just kind of not happy with, with the bugs apparently that's in the game. It's kind of like, you know, I feel like Death Stranding almost. I remember Death Stranding was getting nines and it was getting like sixes. But like, I just kind of want to bring up, you know, you and I pre-ordered this game. So like, should we care about the reviews if you pre-order the game? You know, like it's like this weird mindset that we have that, okay, I'm getting Horizon, I'm getting Elden Ring. But when the the, the, the review drops, I'm like, all right, I, I guess I want, but because the whole point of the review is to to help you with your purchase. To like let you know, hey, you should buy this. Instead, we've already bought it, but then we're like, okay, but is it good though? <laughs> uh, yeah, totally, man. Um, it The average person probably shouldn't pre-order, <laughs> um, <laughs> especially if you if you only have, so much money to buy on so many games like um obviously we're both big gamers we we're going to be buying all the new releases all the time yeah um so for us you know this is where we like to spend our money this is our hobby um for the average person you know uh you probably should wait for a review you uh you should see if if a game like especially today games come out broken all the time right um, games come on sale a lot too, so you can easily hold out and save yourself twenty bucks. Um, so if you don't have to have a day day one, you should probably not pre order. Um, for people like us who we made up our minds ahead of time, like like you yeah. said, we we're going to buy these games because we need we need to experience them for ourselves. We need to see what they're going to be, what they're going to be about, how good they're going to be. Are they going to live up to our our expectations? So I look at reviews for pure curiosity as a consensus. I'm kind of, to be honest, like getting not sick of reviews, but um, reviews are changing so much um, in games journalism now that it's just like everyone has, it's all subjective at the end of the day, but it just also feels like people have different views on different things. And, you know, like I kind of think back to, um, uh days gone right like yeah you know so again it's it's kind of like some people were complaining that deacon was this average white guy and it's kind of like is it fun to kill the zombies though like, <laughs> like how's the game <laughs> yeah like uh you know when i kind of see stuff like that it it kind of turns me away from the reviews a bit and and don't get me wrong i i you know i want to see diversity in games 100 percent. last of us too i thought was amazing i wouldn't want that game any other way than the way it was um there's room for both uh but i hate to see games get dinged for you know like someone wanted to tell a story of a of you know a biker who was this white dude you know that kind of stuff sucks a little bit yeah i I, I rather just focus on on the game the gameplay the story and all that stuff um i know exactly and i i think it's just about like you know making sure that we're focusing on the game and 
you know, like even in, in Dying Light 2's case, like I, I remember like a lot of the stuff that was being dinged, like it was being dinged for was stuff like the story and everything like that. But it, I remember like I was kind of just going through the comments and some people kind of said it the same way, being like, okay, but is the, is the game fun? Like, <laughs> you know, because I didn't, I didn't play Dying Light 1 and being like, hey, like let's, let's break the mold of story-based games and stuff like that. It's like, no, like the story is there, but how is the game? And like, I feel like that's what's happening sometimes. Like you're saying, like some some uh, journalists are able to kind of see that side of like, okay, you know, like like Game Inform will give it a 9.5 and they're like, yeah, this is an awesome game. And it's really, really fun. Whereas other people are like, yeah, like it's a fun game. Like, you know, the whole point of playing video games is to have fun. It's, it's doing that. But no, but like, hey, the story is not good and this, the choices don't matter. It's like, okay, like where, how do we, how do we come to consensus of what's important in, in these video games, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's why reviews get hard, right? Because if so, if if you're all about the story and then you play something like this where the story doesn't, you know, live up to your standard, then yeah, you're going to give it a, a lower review, which is totally fine, right? Um, exactly. So, I mean, the only time, like, I, I would kind of look towards reviews is if I'm really unsure about a game, like, I don't know anything about it, I'm very on the fence if I'm going to get it or not, I will hold off and just kind of see like, and if the reviews come out and I'm seeing, you know, an average of five or something, then I'm going to be like, all right, you know, this is something I could definitely get when it's very cheap or, or not get at all. If, if it just seems like things are bad. Um, and yeah. then also too, I mean, just it, it's such a different time where before reviews were the only source to get anything about what a game was going to be like screenshots, um, you know, trailers or whatever. Whereas today, like, there's so much about a game ahead of time, right? Like, don't know how many Dying Light 2 videos I saw. And I was like, yeah, yeah this looks good. I will, I'm pretty sure I'll have fun with this. Um, I hope the bugs are not that bad. But, you know, it is what it is. They'll probably get fixed in time, I hope. Um, so it's just a different time, too. And then also stuff like streaming, right? You can just go and see someone play the game and, and get an even better idea of what, what the game is going to be like. So... I think that it's also like the the idea of kind of helping people make their purchasing decisions, right? Because at the end of the day, like a lot of these journalists, obviously, you know, they have to be subjective and they they get these games, you know, the codes and everything like that, and they technically get the game for free. And I totally get that from their side of uh, side of things, right? Because they get an early code so they can review it before the game comes out, stuff like that. But for me, it's always like a like it always feels it always feels weird when like a game is being recommended, and I'm like, okay, but is it worth? $60, right? Or in our, like in Canada, like $90 before tax, which is like, you know, it's, it's these one game can be like a lot of money for one person. And that might be the only game to buy for the next six months. And we're solely, they're solely basing it off of someone's review who might've not, you know, had to put that same kind of investment. And that kind of always like, kind of puts me in like this weird spot of like, okay, like I get it, but is it worth that money? Or even in this case, it's like Dying Light 2 is, is, is like, yeah, you know what? It's a 10 out of 10. So it's okay. Wait, is it, is it worth the full price is it worth like nothing is it worth on a on a sale i just wish there was more you know uh, a, a more i guess that's why you kind of go to just go to youtubers because i feel like a lot of youtubers are very honest in that sense just going to get an idea of like okay is it actually worth that price you're going to put into this yeah and another thing too with reviews is also um you know it, when it's your job and you're in this timeline of like you need to get this you need to play this game in like a week or something so you can have it on time that also changes the experience too, right? Because yeah. I know like uh, there's been games where I'm like, okay, uh, the next game's coming out. So I'm just going to try to finish this. And I, I just like, you know, like just plow through those last like five, 10 hours. And usually that's not as enjoyable as the first 10 because I was taking my time and, and playing the game I wanted to. But 
when you get in this time crunch, you, it, it kind of takes away from it too. So it's, it's just so different from like when an average person is going to play a game. And I don't want to take anything away from a review ever. I mean, again, it's someone's opinion, right? Like I hope that game outlets give games to that are towards a person's taste too, right? Like if someone doesn't like a racing game, why would you give them the racing game? Cause yeah. like, so, it, you know, and that's kind of one of my stances. I know what games I like. Um, I, I mean, obviously there's going to be surprises. Never thought I would like nobody uh, saves the world as much as I did. And that's why I love stuff like game pass. Cause yeah. I wouldn't have bought it otherwise. Like I, I probably even seeing the reviews for it. I, I probably still wouldn't have bought it. Yeah. I think that's kind of, it's, we're just in a changing industry now in terms of how people consume reviews and, and like I'm, I, I've kind of brought it up before in an, an earlier episode that I feel like we need to kind of move away from the numbers in the reviews because a lot of people kind of Metacritic, Open Critic, all this stuff, all everyone just kind of wants to see that number, and I, I kind of fall for that too, right? And like I'm like, okay, no, but like if everyone kind of decides together, like you know what, let's move away from the number and literally tell them what we think about the game because they write like thousands of words and we people just go all to the bottom, ah, seven out of ten, like why, you know, like, and I'm like, okay, but in that entire thousand word, like they or like two thousand, three thousand words, there might have been stuff where they actually it stuff will actually appeal to you. And you actually say, you know what, based on what they wrote, yeah, okay, this is a thing for me. So I feel like we gotta move away from that over time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I mean, um you're right. Like there could be something in that review that literally says that speaks to you, right? Like yeah. this part of the game is does X, Y, and Z, and you love X, Y, and Z. But the conclusion is that, you know, it is more of the same or whatever for someone that might be exactly what they want, right? They might be happy with more of the same. Um, whereas if you're constantly playing different games, then maybe not, right? Yeah. So awesome. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining. Really means a lot. Please let us know what you think about the Bungie acquisition. Let us know what you think about Nobody Saves the World if you have played it. Or if you haven't, go check it out. And let you know. Let us know that, you know, what, what your thoughts are on reviews, and pre-order games and whether it matters if you've already pre-ordered a game. We, we want to know. We're really interested to, see, to hear your thoughts. Please email me at amandamangames at gmail.com. That's amandamangames games at gmail.com. I'm going to put my email in the description. And you can, of course, find Trevor at trevor.hair at Twitter. Yes, sir. There you go. I'm going to put that in the description as well. Thank you so much, Trevor. Thanks, Amon. See you. Have a good one. <laughs>